Good morning, everyone. How about you join with me in prayer? Father, how humbled we are that you have given us your own words to commune with us. Help us, Lord, to hold this word highly, cherishing this knowledge that you speak to us for our good. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So we as people, we just love to do things ourselves. We are a do-it-yourself people, a DIY people. We love buying furniture from Ikea, building that flat pack desk or shelf, and we love it because it makes us feel like we're capable, people who can build stuff, who can do stuff with our hands. Or we're people that go to a restaurant and we order an underwhelming dish, and as we're eating it, we say to the person next to us, I could do it better. We love doing things ourselves. Think about those times that you've had someone next to you and they've broken something. They've nodded their headphones, the kettle isn't working, maybe their zip's been stuck for ages and they've been fiddling with it for minutes. And so you say to them, hey, how about you give me a crack at it? You've probably been that person heaps of times because you think, yeah, I am capable, I can do things myself. For me, I have DIY coursing through my veins. If you cut me, I will bleed DIY. (laughs) And I've inherited this from my dad. Just this week, we had a plumber install a new toilet and dad immediately looked at it and he said, could have done it better. (laughs) And the times that I've helped my dad with things, you know, fixing the car, cleaning the gutters, even painting the house, Nearly every time I've done it, Dad's told me off for not doing a good enough job. The painting's uneven. Look, the paint is dripping from the brush. You missed a leaf in the gutter. In my defense, the leaf probably fell after I cleaned it. But for some reason, despite Dad's discouraging remarks, I keep coming back for more. Even though I know that I'm not good at doing DIY things, I like to think that I can do things myself, whether it's, and I think we're all like that, and we all like to think we can make bracelets, we can decorate the house, do some gardening, do some landscaping if we're ambitious. We're just obsessed with doing things ourselves. We love the DIY feeling. But there's a problem with the DIY attitude. And that problem is that sometimes we apply this DIY attitude to our faith that we can do things ourselves in all things. But Paul here in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, has something else to say about this DIY attitude. So last week, we've heard from Jeff that the law won't get us to God. The law wasn't to show us how to get to heaven, and we're already being shown we can't do it ourselves. That these false teachers were telling us, okay, everyone must follow the law, but Paul is teaching grace. And so starting from verse 12, we're going to hear what God's grace means for the believer. So if you could all just keep your Bibles open to 1 Timothy 1, verse 12, which can be found on 1844 of your pew Bibles, we're going to be working through it bit by bit. So Paul begins this passage by thanking God, giving praise to him 
to the one who gives him strength. Already here we see Paul is acknowledging that it is not his own strength to do the service, but rather God's strength. And then he reminds the reader that he was a horrible man. I'm sure you'll remember as you've read through Acts that he was a murderer. He murdered Christians and he led other people to murder Christians. He was responsible for killing many people who believed in Jesus. He killed the first Christian martyr, Stephen. And he endorsed much of this killing, raiding and imprisonment of Christians and even women at the time. Paul had completely ravaged the Christian church because he was ignorant. He didn't know the Christian message. He didn't believe the Christian message, the message of Christ crucified and resurrected again. He didn't believe it. Let's read what Paul has to say about himself in verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. But despite having killed and tortured so many of God's people, of God's children that he's killed, God still showed mercy on Paul. Paul reminds the reader of what he's done, though. He says he's committed great sin and he was an enemy of God. He knows that he was the worst sinner, the worst of the worst. But somehow, God was still kind to him. God was gracious to him. And God still had this immense mercy and love that he would still be able to forgive someone as horrible as Paul. But what it actually shows us is not how horrible Paul was. But it's to show us how amazing God was. How patient God was to use Paul as an example for all people. That God had patience for even the worst of the worst sinners. If God could forgive this man, then he could forgive other people for all their sins, anyone who believed in him. And from this, from seeing how horrible Paul was, we could see how great God's mercy was. The way I see it is it's kind of like a cleaning ad. They don't get the nice and clean and shiny sink and then they go, oh, this is what our cleaning product can clean through. They get the filthiest, disgustingest sinks and then they go, hey, look, it cuts through, effortless, easy. Well, this is what God's doing. He's doing exactly what the cleaning ads are doing, but even better. He's gone in this filthy, dirty sink and his name is Saul. And he shows how great it cuts through the grime. It's not to show how dirty the sink is, but it's to show how great the cleaning product is. How great God's mercy is. And so God has revealed how marvelous his patience is, as we see in verse 14. Verse 14. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus, might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. So we've seen that it's all God's grace. It was all that Jesus has done on the cross 
that even the most wicked sinner can find grace. Whether they're slightly wicked or very wicked like Paul, it is grace. It is what Jesus has done, not the person. No one can save themselves. As Jonathan Edwards has famously said, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that was necessary. The whole Christian endeavor is impossible without God. There is no salvation without God's grace. There are no good works without God's grace. And so Paul recognizes it and he gives all the glory to God. Because Paul knows that he did nothing. He knows that he did nothing and it was all God. God did the saving and God gave Paul the strength to do the work of his role. God did all the work. Look at verse 17. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And because of this wonderful grace that we have seen, Paul has two exhortations, two encouragements, one to Timothy and one to all people, which we will see soon. For the exhortation for Timothy... Paul tells Timothy to hold on to the faith just as he is described. These immense riches of grace, hold on to it. Hold on to it and fight and remain in this glorious grace. And he warns him that just so easily, like their friends, Hymenaeus and Alexander, it would be easy to turn away from this faith. And so we see that in verse 18. Verse 18, Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. And so there we have the exhortation to Timothy. And then here we're coming up, with an exhortation to us. But what would we do? What would, what would be the first thing that we would react to in grace when we've heard this good message of grace? What would you do? Would you go preach the gospel? Would you go read the Bible? Would you rejoice? Would you go sing and dance outside? They're all good things, but Paul actually has something even more important to tell us to react to this message of grace. The first thing to do when reacting to hearing hearing of God's grace and how impossible it is to be saved, not by their own power, but by God's power. Just after God saying that good works and following God is impossible without God's grace, this is what Paul has to say. He says, pray. To pray. To give thanks, to plead on behalf of all people. But why would Paul say pray? Why prayer? Why would he so strongly encourage these people to pray? He would use the word urge. He was so desperate for them to pray. But the reason why he would say pray, we can see is because of the then. It means that everything that comes before is important for why he's telling us to pray. Then pray. 
So what have we seen in chapter 1? We've seen in chapter 1 that Paul was talking about grace, about how there was nothing that someone could do to save themselves, that no one can save themselves because God did everything. God gave strength to Paul's ministry. God gave grace and mercy to sinful people. God was patient to those who would eventually believe in him. So what? If Paul is teaching us that nothing can be done, absolutely nothing can be done to save yourself, to do good works, then what? Would Paul then say, go out, do as much as you can, go, 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 do, do, do? It wouldn't make sense for Paul to say that. But rather he says, pray. He says, pray, because prayer is the surrendering of control. It is an action that shows great humility because it says, I can't do it. Only you can do it, God. So you do it, God. Grace points the person to their helplessness, only to go to the prayer to the one who can help, the one who can do it. This attitude about, I can't do it, God, you are in control, will lead to peaceful lives and quiet lives because there is less doing. There's less striving and there's less futile working because it will be a rest, resting in knowing that God's grace is at work. Turn to chapter 2, verse 1. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And so he asks us to pray for all people. And this prayer for all people is something that will please God because it is a prayer that God himself desires for all to be saved. And while God might not have the sovereign will and the plan for all to be saved, this is God's desire It delights in him when Christians pray for all people, as he was the one who gave us Christ, the Christ who died for all sins of those who would believe in him. By praying for all people, the Christian acknowledges that not only can they do nothing to save themselves, but they can do nothing to save other people as well. Only God can. This prayer, this posture of humility, says, God, you are the one who saves I can't do anything without you. I need your grace. This is what grace does. It shows us of this absolute and supreme power of God over all creation that only he can save, only he can spread this good news, only he can do the work. And this is the message that Paul has come to share, to be the messenger of this good news through his life, through his word, Through his work, Paul has come and done this job to testify this one news. Only God saves. It is God's grace. It is God's kindness alone. Let's read verse 3 together. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, and a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. So it's clear, right? If no one can do anything, then 
prayer is the answer. Go to God knowing that he is the one who does the work, knowing that no one can change the hearts of man, nothing can change outside of God's will. Which is why Paul just comes back again and reminds the church again. He reminds Timothy as well. Men everywhere, all men should pray. Let's look, for, look at God's word in this final verse. Verse 8. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. And there we have the end of the passage that we're looking today. So where does that leave our DIY attitudes? We want to do, 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 and we want to do everything ourselves, but what does the passage have to say for our DIY attitude? Doesn't it tell us that we can't do it ourselves? It says that we need to go to God who can do everything, the one who has the power to save, and so we need to go to God in prayer. That's what it's saying. We need to go to God in prayer. So then, why don't we pray more? Why are our prayer lives marked by inconsistency and constant procrastination of it? Why do we keep putting it off? Why is it so easy for us to say, I'm praying for you, only to forget the moment we walk away from them? We're even lucky to pray for them once when we say that. Why is it so easy to fall asleep at night without giving thanks to the God who gave us a day, who gave us the breaths, who, gave, who kept our hearts beating and helped us enjoy the day, enjoy the day, who enabled us to work and who provided us through our jobs? Why is it so easy to check our phones the first thing we do when we wake up? Why is it so easy to be too busy to have time to pray, yet spend hours on Facebook or hours watching Netflix and television? Why is it so easy to do anything but pray? I think beyond these excuses, these distractions, the reason why we don't pray is because we like being doers. We are a do-it-yourself people. We like to complete things and feel the sense of achievement from doing these things. We like to keep things in our own hands, hold these things in our own hands and do it ourselves. We like to feel able and capable of these things. But I'm sorry to tell you that the Bible has something to tell otherwise about this. You're not capable. You're not able and you can't do it yourself. You aren't a DIY person. Now, when I think about people who were doers, people in Christian history who were absolute doers and got things done, I think of Martin Luther. Martin Luther was a man on a mission. He was literally opposing the largest institution on the planet, the Catholic Church. He was on the run from authorities, writing sermons, teaching people, writing statutes and gospel tracts to tell the people that they could be saved by grace through faith. Martin Luther was leading a spiritual reformation. He changed the entire face of Christianity. But you know what? Martin Luther wasn't a DIY guy. He didn't do it himself. You wouldn't see Martin Luther in a red polo and a green apron telling us how bunnies can help you do it yourself. Instead, 
When Luther was asked about his plans for the next day, this is how he responded. He said, work, work, from early until late, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours of the day in prayer. What? You mean that with all the work that he had, he chose to pray even more? Well, maybe it was because Luther realized that he couldn't achieve anything. He could do nothing. This reformation, this shift of the church that the church was going to take was not going to be Luther's work. It was going to be God's work. Luther couldn't do it himself. Luther wasn't going to be the one to save people. Luther wasn't the one that was making this grace message powerful. But I feel like you guys might be stuck on that three hours thing, how impossible it is. Three hours is a lot of time, and most of us don't, might not feel like we have three hours in our day. Or might not even have the attention span for three hours to pray. And fair enough, for me, I can't even watch TV for three hours. But friends, what if? What if we truly realized how much we needed God? What if we truly realized how little we can do ourselves? What if every time we thought of God's grace, we remembered how little power we had over our own souls, how stuck we were in our own sins, how helpless we were, and God pulling us out in his kindness and giving us his mercy, forgiving us and giving us eternal life? What if we remembered how helpless we were? How powerful God was to resurrect this completely dead human being, dead in our sins and completely separated from him then don't you think we pray more? Knowing that it is only in God's power that any of this can happen? So maybe we need to start thinking of ourselves less as DIY people. And maybe we need to start thinking of ourselves more as DIP people. Dependent in prayer people. D-I-P. And then maybe then three hours wouldn't seem like a chore, but rather a need, an important must, to seek Him in prayer, to rely on God. Maybe three hours is a lot, yes. But could we maybe pray more throughout our day? Dare I challenge you the impossible of praying even just five minutes before you wake up and pick up the phone. Or maybe we could pray a bit of, spend more time praying on our commutes to work, asking God to help us through the day and thanking Him for the opportunity to work. Maybe we could pray with our children during breakfast as we read God's word. Or maybe we could just pray for a few minutes at the end of the day, thanking God for all that he has given us in that day. Could we even start today and pray for the people who we have conversations with as we make our drive home? Friends, I think we can be a people who can pray because God's word has reminded us that none of us, none of us have the power alone. None of us can do anything apart from God. We can't do good works. We can't save anyone. We can't even get to heaven on our own. And because we are so helpless without God, then what's the point of not praying?
What's the point in continuing in this futility without praying? There really isn't any point, is there? So friends, let us truly see how much we need God, how much we need to depend on God. We can't do it ourselves. We aren't DIY people. We need God. And so let's stop being DIY people and let's start being DIP people, dependent in prayer. So maybe now is the perfect time for us to start this DIP and being, recognizing how much we need God. And so why don't you join with me in prayer? Father, help us. Help us to see how much we need you and how little we can do on our own. Break our DIY attitudes and make us dependent on you. Help us pray. Help us to desire to pray through our need for you, God. We ask you, God, help us pray. In Jesus' name, amen.